You're listening to the Law & Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information. All right. Well, welcome to the Law and Business Podcast. We're here again with John Eastwood. Uh, this time we're, we're doing some voiceover IP. How are you doing, John? Uh, doing great, Anthony. Good. John is a partner at Iger Law in Taipei. And thank you for, for again, coming on on the podcast. And today we're going to talk about the, the Trump organization's, their trademarks in the greater China market. And mainly because whenever uh, a trademark gets granted these days with Donald Trump being president of the United States, it tends to make some news. And, and generally the thought is that uh, there are some favors being done by the Chinese government. And, and you know, let's talk about uh, that process uh, for most filers in the greater China market and then how special or not special the Trump Organization trademarks are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I think I think one of the funny things is that the question came up, and it's 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 been out there a lot of times. And I think people use this in a political standpoint. Uh, from a, you know, they look at you know, is a is an official, and I'm not just saying Trump, but would any official who's in the position be getting a special favor from the from the Chinese government, or are they you know potentially like are they seeking to get that or to? And so you know, as part of the notion of clean uh, government, just as as you know, the United States has its foreign corrupt practices. Act where we can't give things of value to you know to foreign government officials. Uh, we have in the United States, of course, uh, you know, there's this concept for uh, the emoluments clause, which is the idea yes. of, of somehow taking a benefit from a foreign government or seeking a benefit. Or, but but I think you know, in looking at this, and to be fair, I'm I'm in no sense a, a fan of Trump, but I look at this and I and I and I want to be very analytical and I want to be very careful in how I look at this and. You know, I don't see necessarily that um, that special treatment was sought. It's just that there's very, I think, maybe bad timing. And also there's a quirk of, of famous Mark thinking that probably led to, to uh, the perception because there was a large number of Marks that got approved almost immediately after he became president. Yes, and I think that, um, that starts the cynical thinking. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think about, okay, so if we take the, the clock and go back to January 2017, in that time, um, Trump had been engaged in a, like a 10-year battle with uh, mainland Chinese companies that had been selling all sorts of products. Uh, and, and usually, you know, not the ones that he's necessarily known for, but there were things such as... Um, uh, Trump toilets, Trump condoms, Trump pacemakers, and there was even an, a hotel operator who was trying to, you know, do a Trump International Hotel, which is kind of right up in this bailiwick. But, 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 and, right, exactly. But you know that that doesn't sound that that particular battle, that particular issue doesn't sound all that different. Like Apple, if I recall correctly, had the problem with with iPad, if I recall, in uh, or was it iPhone in China? I forget which yeah. one they had that, that problem with. So, so that particular problem doesn't sound all that unique to the Trump organization. 
Well, yeah, and and if you think about it, I mean, for example, you know, Trump is a as a word has has a couple of other meanings aside from yes. being a name. I mean, you know, famously, his um, immigrant uh, grandfather, uh, you know, arrived. He changed his name from Trump to Trump. Uh, to anglicize it in a sense, and uh, you know, but but for for ages we've had the concept in in card games of oh, you know, he played a trump, uh, exactly. the trump card. The British have and, used it as and, a. And, and you, you certainly, know, by the way, in the United States, can find trump trademarks in poker that do not belong to any aspect of the Trump organization at all. Right, and that's even with him having gotten into the casino business. I mean, at, you know, exactly. at one point. <laughs> It's interesting because, you know, you could actually get, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, the idea of Trump as being a word that, you know, indicates having an advantage and you could happen upon it without knowing about him. But I think in most of these cases, the Chinese companies, they did have some sense of him being I mean, because, you know, from a trademark perspective, uh, Donald Trump is a fascinating uh, thing is uh, say what one will about uh, political skill or anything else. He's a master promoter of himself as the idea of being a wealthy person. And whether or not he's actually wealthy doesn't even really matter. Or maybe it matters even more that if he's not wealthy, he's an even better promoter. Because, you know, even when he has said, oh, you know, I was in bankruptcy or I had, uh, you know, as he famously one time said, uh, you know, to uh, to Ivanka, Ivanka tells the story that, you know, one day he's uh, walking with uh, Ivanka down the street and, and they see a beggar, um, you know, homeless guy. And he turns to her and says, oh, believe it or not, right now that guy has, you know, you know <laughs> millions of dollars more than I do because, you know, because of the hole that he'd gotten in at that moment because of the volatility of the, the real estate market and, and the financing and all these other things. So he's had, financially speaking, ups and downs, but through it all, um, he has very often tried to extend his name, his fame, his, his efforts to tell people, I am a wealthy, successful person. And that has played out very well for people being willing to license that name. People have been very willing to, you know, for a long time, you know, to, to ask, you know, to, to, I guess, pay him license fees in order to say, can I put your name on my property in this other place? And, and that, that fame hasn't always extended to stakes or to certain other business ventures. But in a sense, that doesn't matter because in a sense, he, he did actually believe. And when he does say, when he does say to, and, you know, as he's, uh, as he's, he's been quoted as saying before that, you know, his, uh, his net worth goes up and down based on how he's feeling. Um, I actually understand that from a trademark perspective, because if he's feeling very bullish about the Trump name or the Trump mark, I'm not saying that like, you know, the trademark valuation is uh, an impossible science, but it is a difficult one. But if you do, if you actually feel that people value your brand and you're feeling good about yourself and your position and the willingness of people to do business with you, that probably is a good sign that your mark's on the way up. Well, it, you know, in the United States, uh, the, the standard by which a famous trademark is, is measured, at least by, by the federal courts is, is what is the effect or what is the effect that the trademark has on the average consumer because you can have a trademark for example that's famous in a certain industry and then you mentioned the fact that trump might not be a famous uh, trademark in in stakes or whatever the uh, other uh, industries that aren't associated with the core uh, might be but you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a famous mark anyway because wouldn't the average consumer have some kind of reaction to it or some kind of knowledge to that trademark 
It, it, it is interesting because we've seen, you know, there's, there's iconic, you know, like fashion brands and people in Asia will often slap those onto buildings. So, um, yeah, and I'm sure that. we just had a movie all, all, all about that, uh, that, that came out. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty funny because, because we have like, um, uh, you know, people also love wordplay in Chinese. There's a lot of, um, homo- uh, homophones in the Chinese language. And so as a result, you know, many times they can find something that, you know, in a, in a local dialect or in Mandarin, mm-hmm. um, will be a sound alike. And, and to give a, you know, kind of a quirky example, I mean, um, you know, some years back there was, um, a motel, um, kind of a, a certain massage places and they liked the name Chanel for the luxury brand, you know, the, the, you know, uh, because the Chinese equivalent, you could make a, a kind of a sound alike for, uh, I guess for massage parlors and kind of uh, little hourly rent motels under the name, you know, Shangnaier, which is sort of like a fragrant breasts. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's weird, but you know, because it was a sound alike for that, um, Apparently, that was one of the things that uh, local companies engaged in prurient activities um, <laughs> chose as their market. And I and and you know, I, I did talk to the Chanel people. They were not happy about that because it's not the image they were shooting for. Sure. You know, to think about Trump, there's two aspects that, that pop to mind: is that you know this 10 year struggle that he had, you know, over the over his mark. The Chinese take an attitude towards fame of a mark that you have to be something like, um, you know, Coca-Cola famous. You have to be ubiquitously like famous to the, even to the common person. Therefore, for example, if you were a, a provider of, of, um, you know, automotive parts or, you know, sewage pumps or some other kind of thing that not your average person is going to know the brand for, you could be very famous in your industry. But by Chinese standards, the, uh, under the classical old kind of measure of these things, that would not be, you know, considered famous. Um, and, 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 you know, around, around here, I find that fame can be a little, at least famous trademarks can be a little, um, inconsistent as well. I, I kind of wish that, that we had a, a really high standard like that. So, because we have some rulings, for example, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine has been ruled a famous trademark, um, really by the Ninth Circuit. Um, and, and I, I sit here and I say, well, I know that they've got a lot of sales, but if I go to the average person and I say entrepreneur is the first thing popping out of their mind magazine, you know, and, 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 <laughs> you know, I, I know, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Right. It's not the same as, as, as Chanel. It's not, it's not going to be the same as, as Versace. It's not going to be the same as Michael Jordan. Um, Although, although I don't know. Time or Newsweek. There, yes, exactly, exactly. So, well, I, I mean, and time. I don't know. I, I think I think fame might be fleeting there for time as well. But I think um, at the very least, you, you could you can you know still make that argument that time is still a famous mark. But still, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're I I think we have a little less of of a standard. Here in the United States, for that famous trademark, than 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 there. Well, and, you know, and I think you know, it, you know. So what you have is you know, the first part of this involves you know, they have the Trump Organization. They have this. They had an application for construction-related services that it just 
languished for some of the 10 years of struggles against the weight of several Chinese bad faith filers who had apparently been using, and I, I say bad faith because I think they knew. I mean, he his art of the deal, he's been at least pretty famous for internationally for decades. And they were using the Trump name for marketing all sorts of products. And they, I think they knew what they did. Because anybody who's doing business in China does know that, that this is a, a classic big industry. Chinese companies and individuals are extremely fast to file for these iconic Western, you know, marks or for these names. Not so iconic, I guess. I mean, I've got, um, you know, some clients that are quite up and coming or niche brands uh, where there should be no level of confusion. But even they've got some serious problems in China. And, you know, you see some of these guys, like you look into the filing databases in uh, the Chinese trademark office and you'll see that some guy, you know, some lone guy out in the middle of nowhere has gone and filed for a zillion uh, famous brands that, for whatever reason, have not bothered to register in China. And they try to, try to address that. I mean, the Chinese trademark law got changed, um, you know, to have a provision against bad faith filing. And establishing bad faith is, you know, is, 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 does require a little work and some evidence. I, but I was going to say, what, what does it take to file, to, to, to show bad faith? Because if a company hasn't, hasn't moved into, into the jurisdiction yet, uh, then, uh, you know, they're not selling the, the products with that, with those trademarks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it could be things like, you know, if they did, a, you know, certain big fashion shows and they did certain things and they were able to show like, um, you know, they're, if they're able to show some sort of uh, one thing could be also Internet sales. But that is difficult. So oftentimes the faster way to fight that is to look at uh, non-use, um, you know, because if the if the mark is. Um, if the mark from the other side is, uh, say, three years old, the guy's been camping on it for a while. Uh, sometimes, what you can you can do is you uh, you know go for a non-use cancellation against the other side. At the same time, you file for your mark, um, and there is often a, a kind of a funny dance where uh, the non-use cancellation will not be fully handled by the time that it is that mark is actually cited to knock okay. out. Temporarily. So you have to do this thing of appeals, but eventually you can win. I mean, we've done that quite a few times for clients. What takes 10 years? What takes 15 years for a group that is supposedly that big to uh, get their trademarks through in, in China? Well, the system is pretty slow, and there's a lot of ways that you can try to file and refile. And um, But, you know, basically, uh, if you're very persistent, I would say this is a testament. And, and the companies that are famous for persisting, um, their stories are all about 10, 12, 15 years of fighting, fighting, fighting until the law actually changed and they got a chance. Um, and maybe sometimes some evidence surfaces of, of an attempt by the other company to uh, not just, you know, um, so uh, what I'd say is that for me, there's, 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 there's a fascinating thing in here that this case, uh, China approved Trump's trademark for construction services in the first months that he was in his office as president. And, you know, it looked bad because you could take this, and I think a lot of media outlets did. Um, they said, oh, well, you know, China treated this like, oh, you're now your president of the United States. Here's your trademark. Um, and, People thought then at the moment about like emoluments clause. Oh, is this a gift from China? Are they somehow treating him specially and giving him something of value, which is this trademark? I would actually say that he should have gotten the trademark years ago. And in this chain of things, um, January 2017 is actually part of a movement 
by China to try to get its act together because just the previous month, Michael Jordan got really good news in his 15 year struggle. I mean, perseverance means, uh, <laughs> is, is, you know, you get the, it means a lot. Um, but he, he finally managed to get back the Chinese name commonly used to refer to him, uh, Chow Dan. Uh, from a Chinese company that had been using the name to sell sports clothing very successfully. And, you know, you might wonder, why is this? Why didn't they register that? And it's because uh, when Nike started selling Air Jordan products in China, only the English name Jordan uh, got registered by them. They didn't bother to go for the Chinese name that everybody in China who cares about basketball chose to call Michael Jordan. So that's a lesson for trademark owners is don't skip the Chinese name. Um, but that's also a cultural lesson, lesson as well. I mean, yes. no, I, I mean, you can say don't don't skip the Chinese name, but but you got to know what it is, too. Right. Or, you know, if you don't choose your name, the market will find one for you. <laughs> and you can maybe choose a better name. You know, I mean, Coca-Cola <laughs> is the Chinese name for Coca-Cola. And, and you know, that I think it was actually Are you getting a bite the wax tadpole reference here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's their second time around. I think they actually had a, I think if I remember right, Coca-Cola had a different Chinese name when they first went in the market and then they, they subtly changed it. Um, you know, so they could have actually gone, you know, in terms of the, you know, the phonetic sounding words, they could have gone something, but it wouldn't have meant so much. But, um, you know, uh, you know, Coca-Cola, uh, actually has a good, very good meaning in terms of, you know, making your mouth happy and, you know, stuff like the flavor and everything. So it's, it, it actually is a very smart bit of branding and companies that choose, you know, that, that work a little bit to come up with a cute way to say something. They can either go with a transliteration, which is a way to sound alike their own name. If they can't do that, uh, because of certain, you know, vowels, uh, rather, I'm sorry, uh, certain consonants, you know, not really being used too often in, in Chinese, uh, because certain sounds that, uh, may not be used, then at least you can come up with a Chinese name that captures the meaning or the feel of your brand. And if you choose it, then it's much better than someone else choosing it. Because if you, if someone else chooses, by the time the market has a name for it, and if you have any reputation, um, someone uh, <laughs> go back to that thing about the Chinese industry based around uh, the sheer number of people who will go and register marks. So people will move, companies will move, individuals will move really fast to go and register a trademark um, that will you know, use exactly the same characters that, you know, that the market's calling you. I, I mean, I think that that's, that's a good lesson that kind of transects every, uh, uh, everything we're talking about here, which is, which is you, if you're going to file in China, you need to understand, um, uh, or if you're looking, you, you, and you just register the English word, uh, you, you need to understand how that could be transliterated. Right. Right. And you know, the, um, um, you know, look, looking at Chow Dan, uh, with Jordan's, um, uh, Michael Jordan's Chinese name, um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, Trump, um, there was a lot of registrations for Trump type names, um, uh, using the, the Chinese characters that are used for his name. And, and, you know, once you get out there, I mean, like, you know, Hillary Clinton is known as, um, Xia Li, uh, Obama has two different Chinese names, um, you know, uh, Obama and Obama and, uh, you know, they have, uh, I mean, people, especially for someone who's famous out in the world, uh, they show up in the newspaper, the newspaper is not going to just write the name out in English. They'll come up with a right. name for them. And I think it's, that's, you know, it's, um, 
you know, Trump in January 2017, Michael Jordan in uh, December, just the month before, in December 2016. And then two months before that, there's this uh, case involving, you know, the C.F. Martin & Co. It's a it's a company that's been in, uh, I think, Nazareth, Pennsylvania for since 1833. Yes, and while, I don't have, while I don't have a Martin guitar, I definitely have bought many Martin guitar strings in my time. <laughs> and I, you know, I have to admit, I aspire someday to, to, to getting a Martin guitar. They're, they're beautiful instruments. And, uh, you know, some years back I, I did actually meet at a, at, um, at one of the industry shows. I met, um, uh, you know, um, you know, the Christopher Martin, the fourth, you know, same family. They've been running the business forever. And, um, uh, I know that back at that time they were extremely frustrated. Hopefully now they're very happy because, uh, in October, 2016, two, two months before Michael Jordan, three months before Donald Trump, um, they won, uh, on their, you know, their, their trademark battle in China, their epic, you know, decade long fight. Um, and they went through a lot of official channels and things like that, but, you know, this had caused huge annoyance and frustration for IP professionals working in China because it had been used for years as an example of the Chinese government just totally allowing a copycat local guitar company to brand jack a famous American brand. And and and, and when you when you say that it's it's, I, I mean, Martin is a famous brand in China, or or is it not? I mean, how it's it certainly isn't going to be Chanel or Versace. Well. Um, the key point, I think, is that the trademark law was amended a few years ago to refer more generally to bad faith trademark filings. And I think that okay. gave them some more room for action. They didn't have to necessarily be like Coca-Cola or, <laughs> or you could even say, instead of that, you could probably say Jordan or Trump famous. I mean, right. and, and I think that gets into the, the second aspect, which is that when you become president of the United States, um, there's another aspect to that is that he, he might have been um, – famous for the TV show Apprentice. And I think it doesn't even matter whether or not that show was shown in China. Um, you know, he'd already, you know, uh, you know, just been a, a figure in pop culture for, for a while before that, which is how he got the Apprentice show. But he didn't have to, it wasn't just like he went with the election being, becoming the president of the United States. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of fame right there. Yes. That's, that's pretty crazy. They are in the history books. So I think it was, it was just simply too embarrassing, um, for China. I think, you know, I now think you could, you could say like, wow, um, legally speaking, that 10 year battle is something that shouldn't have happened for him. And it shouldn't have happened to Michael Jordan. It shouldn't have happened to the CF Martin and co, um, guitar makers. Like this kind of stuff is, is all things that nobody deserved to have happened to them. And then you add in the extraordinary fame that a person who becomes elected to the United States presidency gets, and you add on a third element, which, which I think, you know, doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to officially be a reason. But if I was China looking at this situation, it would just be horrendously embarrassing and, and a stupid bit of, you know, for, you know, for a country that already is, frequently at odds with the United States on intellectual property protections sure. to be sitting out there and having local companies camping out on the, on the Trump name. I mean, it's, you know, when you have like, um, meetings between, I mean, uh, you know, now with recent news, it seems that the meetings between Xi Jinping and Trump are 
um, you know, are already awkward enough between, you know, whether or not there's more tariffs or fewer tariffs or what's Agreed. going to be the future. Um, and militarily, we have the South China Seas, but, but, yes. you know, can you imagine going in and if, 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 say, if there was a guy in the United States who was going around, you know, doing something completely outrageous with a Xi Jinping, um, branded toilet brush or some kind of horrible kind of thing that the Chinese would take as an insult to them personally. And that's just no way to try to build goodwill between nations. And so I can see why the Chinese would try to remove this sort of an obstacle uh, from, you know, from relations, uh, you know, between world leaders. I think one of the perceptions that, that a lot of Americans have um, is that um, trying to fight this in China is is useless, that the Chinese IP system feels arbitrary, you know, when you're sitting from, from this side of the Pacific Ocean. And it's, it's really hard for maybe a smaller American company to truly understand and appreciate what the system is, especially when the, you're right. It's, it, it, I mean, it really does feel like it, it happened at a time that, um, the narrative you know, the simple faraway narrative could have been its favor, but when you look and you dig deep, it's not. But I think a lot of Americans feel as if, if they're doing business in China, and even if they're just manufacturing products in China, that the IP system feels maybe a little arbitrary when, when it's not. You know, I mean, one of the most difficult things that I think uh, companies dealing with China trademarks are, there is a little bit of an ar arbitrariness in terms of uh, office actions, because even skilled professionals find it hard to get the specifications just right. And we frequently, depending on the whims of the examiners, we have to amend things and try to find a way to classify goods and services in a way that will be acceptable. And I think... You know, probably that's the, the, you know, if there was a favor that he got, because, you know, once he got that first mark through, um, the CTMO, the Chinese Trademark Office, had no really good reason to hold back on the other marks that had been filed in 2016. And so then you get a flood of cases coming a few months later. And I can see how that happened. I mean, if we're going back to the basics of human behavior, what we probably can take home is this. You know, China was already taking some steps to clear away some of its most embarrassing trademark cases like Chowdan, uh, like Jordan and Martin guitars. And Trump's fame within China skyrocketed in recent years, um, making the trademark application for construction services a potential embarrassment for them to be holding back on that. And once Trump's older case got resolved, the CTMO had no really good reason to hold back on the other marks that he filed in 2016. And probably, you know, if there would be one observation to make is that they probably let the mark slide through a little easier than they normally would have. It's hard to measure that, but given how persnickety the individual uh, trademark examiners can be, um, you know, it's, it is kind of hard because they do request uh, like little changes here and there and there and there. And, and um, you know, I've even had clients that, you know, if they make the changes requested by the examiner, and then once they've made the changes requested by the examiner, uh, the, the, the trouble they land into is that uh, then the examiner rejects it because it's too similar to another Mark's uh, subclasses. <laughs> and if they had actually stuck to their guns earlier on, they would have had less of a problem. If they had said, well, no, actually, we, we you know, um, <laughs> we don't do power transformers, you know, and it's... Um, 
that the Chinese government requested power transformer that such and such term be slightly changed. So it was, you know, and it, and it's, it's, it's a real, it's really hard. Sometimes you have to know when to stick to your guns and try to, um, you know, you have to look at the classifications, uh, you know, the specifications very, very carefully. You know, uh, because, I was about I was I was about ready to sit there and disagree with you and say, well, gee, that doesn't sound all that different from from my filings and <laughs> and I've until you hit like yes, well then then when we change it, then it's rejected for something. All right, all right, you're right, you're right. That does sound a little. <laughs> you're right. It does sound a little arbitrary. I was about ready to fight you there, John. And so, <laughs> but, but the question. The, the question here, I guess, you know, should you, should you, should you try to register? Well, first off, um, you know, my philosophy is that you should always register in countries where you're, where you're doing business. Um, if you're making goods, if you're selling goods, um, or if your competitors, um, who are going to be pirating your goods or something like that are, are located there. And it's, you know, China actually, you know, we've had a lot of trademarks go through, uh, quite smoothly. So, I mean, in, in one sense, you know, you shouldn't skip it because many times it does work. And every so often you do get in an epic battle or you get into like kind of a little thing. And it's important to pay attention to the details of their subclassifications because they are so persnickety about that. But otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, uh, don't ever let the examiner pull you too far away from your court. Sometimes simpler is better. Sometimes if, uh, you know, we have clients that want to throw in the, you know, the kitchen sink, uh, for all sorts of stuff. And you have to really be very realistic about is the client, the client really is known for, you know, take, um, you know, for making, um, you know, say pens and ink cartridges. Um, but if the plan, if they're not planning to do anything with writing paper or some other kinds of stationary products, better to leave some of those out if you know that they're not a paper maker and if you know that they don't have really any plans because you don't know um at least you know you have to be very careful not to step on something else um, and it's very easy to do that in china right so john uh other than the takeaway of it seems as if uh the, the trump organization had a typical fight for their trademarks in china uh we're hitting the the 30 minute mark so so we'll not uh not uh, uh extend this uh because we'd like to keep our episodes at 30 minutes but what other takeaways do you think other american firms should have for moving the ip into, into the greater china market well um you know, for, for the, the greater China thing, I think that, uh, uh, you know, work with your marketing people, work with some native speakers. Uh, if your local council, uh, you know, we've helped a lot of clients over the years come up with a, you know, variety of possible names. Um, and we're not, you know, marketing gurus, but if you do have, uh, you know, if you are working with like an ad agency or something like that on the launch in China, like, you know, big corporations have the money mm-hmm. for that small, small companies usually don't. Uh, but it's usually, it's good to ask and say, Hey, you know, is there, is there a neat turn of phrase? Is there something I can use? Um, you know, uh, that would express what my company does and sound somewhat like my brand name. And then, you know, because if you don't choose your name, you know, the market will choose one for you. So that would be one of the most important things I would, I would emphasize. Definitely register the Chinese um, trademark, um, the the Chinese character trademark. It's crazy when people don't. And um, maintain consistency uh, across the Chinese, uh, the greater China market. So, for example, if you have one Chinese trademark that you're using in mainland China, 
plan it out so that you can still use that in Hong Kong, Macau, mm -hmm. uh, Taiwan. Uh, because uh, I've seen large brands uh, many years ago, say like about 18, you know, 17 years ago or so. I remember that um, I think, uh, you know, Intel used to be using two different names. It was a Ing Ter in one market and Ing Dai Er in another one. And it was all because of, of the way that things were filed and uh, what marks had been there before. And, you know, just for consistency of branding, it's important it's good to be able to have materials that will work in one environment, websites that will work in one environment and will work in another. Right. Right. John, thank you so much. And uh, look forward to having you on another episode for, for a fun cross Pacific chat. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, <laughs> John. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All the best. This has been the Law and Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact Verna Law PC, send an email to Anthony at VernaLaw.com or call 914-358-6401.